I think one of the things we've noticed is that the talk of evangelism seems to be in a bit of a decline. And so one of the things we're interested in exploring this season is why that is the case. Is there something going on uh, in the wide culture? Is there something going on in Christian culture? Is there something going on individually for us, which is sort of slowed down this momentum of evangelism, that we don't feel an urgency about it. We Maybe we feel an awkwardness about it. And so we want to explore that from a number of different angles. Welcome everybody back to the Shock Absorber podcast. We've had a little bit of a break over Christmas, but we are back with season five, five, not five, five. And we're here in the third space studio. And uh, if you remember last season, we talked about culture and in Ian Hussey's words about embracing and critiquing culture, which leads very nicely into this season, season five, as I said, which we call, have decided to call Whatever Happened to Evangelism. Now, I've got half the usual gang joining me today. Tim, how are you? I'm going really well. Excellent. Thanks, mate. It's, uh, we've given Stu a bit of time off. Yep. He's well-deserved time off because he's just come off the back of Ethan, his son's wedding yep. which is great and have and he married his son which is a very lovely um occasion and we were we were both there you emceed the reception oh, i did have the opportunity uh the very last minute yes it was a very last fill minute. in for uh, another one of our pastors jai who yes. unfortunately, unfortunately got sick yes yep but uh but no it was great joy to be there and celebrate with Stu and ethan obviously and yeah. uh katie and the rest of the family and friends i so. had a lot of fun yeah, yeah it was uh, awesome time yes it was great and um also joining us today is Braden, our student pastor here at soul revival church he's actually behind the desk though hello Braden. Yeah, I get to be the fun radio host over here. (laughs) As you were joking, you've got a face for radio with me before. Perfect. (laughs) Well, let's get into it. Uh, We're talking about evangelism in this um, particular season. Um, Tim, I think the best way to start to maybe talk about evangelism is to use a cultural artifact, which we usually like to do. And I think you came up with this idea previously. And uh, it is the Jesus Beads. Do you want us to tell us about the Jesus Beads and why it was an important cultural artifact as you were growing up as a Christian? Yeah, so um, this is sort of a cultural artifact that's kind of, I mean, it's a soul revival cultural artifact (laughs) uh, as opposed to maybe a a popular one. But when I was growing up uh, in the early soul revival, so I was a teenager in youth group through the mid to late 90s, and one of the things that was really significant for us was this, uh, we called them the Jesus Beats or the Gospel Beats. And so there were five colours and they represented the full story of the Bible. Um, and the way we told the story was that there was green, that God created everything. Uh, white, that God created humankind to be particularly his uh, special people and to live with them. Uh, and there was the white represents the uh, the, the cleanliness, the wholeness of that relationship that they have with God uh, in the beginning. So Adam and Eve in, in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and then black comes next and that represents the way that that perfect, clean, beautiful relationship was ruined through sin uh, and the rebellion of Adam and Eve and the fact that we've all inherited that sin and so we are naturally outside of relationship with God. Uh, after black, we've got red, which is the, both the love of Christ and the blood of Christ, that he showed his love for us ultimately by dying on the cross and rising again. And through that sacrifice, that we're able to be cleansed from our sin, be brought back into relationship with God. And the last one in the way we tell the story is the yellow bead, uh, which is 
represents the new life that we have, which starts now when we're in Christ uh, and lasts for eternity through new creation. So those five colours, green, white, black, red, yellow, uh, were really significant and were quite an important uh, semiotic, a sign to us as teenagers and the youth community that we're a part of, of who we are in Jesus and who and the story that we were seeking to live out. And how uh, I feel like at the time that they were most popular was at a time that you were really, at, you were right in that forefront of that. How did it help you personally be able to share the gospel? Yeah, so I think it did a couple of things. Firstly, it really identified who we were as Christians. Mm. And so there was a, a signifier of the people who are wearing these particular colours are Christians. Uh, and this was a time when there were hundreds of kids coming on uh, Friday nights to our different youth gatherings. There were even more Christian kids who were part of the local public schools who were sort of may have gone to other churches but were adjacent to Soul Revival and the things that we were doing, particularly in Kirawee High and Gaimi High, um, two of the high schools in um, our part of the world in Sutherland Shire. And so what it did when you were wearing those colours, uh, it stood out and you could see and people were wearing them as bracelets or as necklaces. Some people put them, um, threaded them into the laces of their skate shoes yep. and things that school shoes. it was shoes. like right at the front of your shoe too. Like yeah, that's right. You've got to pull all the laces yeah. out, uh, thread it right at the start and then thread your shoe back up again. So yep. it was yeah, a fair bit of commitment yep. to do, but it was a really important thing. It was something that people did a lot and took really seriously. And then we, we made flags out of it and we had T-shirts. People would dye their hair different colours. Um, I remember there were five guys that in their, it was, I don't know if it was their year 10 or year 12 graduation, but they went to their, um, sorry, their formal um, with the five colours and they got tuxedos in the five different colours uh, and dyed their hair to match their tuxedo colour. And so it was a, a really, really popular semiotic and, and it was something that was really important to us. In terms of how did it help us share the gospel, what it did was that it presented the story in a really clear and comprehensible way. So everyone uh, could know, okay, this is the story of the Bible. And of course, there's a lot more depth and detail that we spend the rest of our lives digging into. But if you can remember those five colours, then you basically know the whole overarching story of what God is doing in this world from, from creation and new creation and how we are caught up into that story. And so the simplicity of it means that every child, teenager, young adult can actually go and talk to their mates about the the Jesus story. And when people are asking, oh, what do those colours mean? Oh, well, let me tell you, green, white, black, red, yellow. And you can sort of explain what that means. Did you get asked that question yourself? Well, I would have an interesting experience different to most of the um, teenagers in youth group at the time. So I was at a Christian school. Uh, and from what I can recall, it was really only me and one friend who were at um, Shire Christian School. Um, okay. And we would go to youth group on a Friday night and there'd be 80 other teenagers, mostly from Kirawee High and a couple from Gaimi High and a few other spatterings around. Uh, so we were in an environment where the gospel story was really known. Certainly not everyone at the Christian school was Christian and had personal faith, but it was a really known thing. And so it wasn't unusual for us to uh, sort of be, be known for knowing the story. Um, on the flip side, though, we had a much stricter dress code. And so mm. I would get in trouble if I tried to wear the Jesus colours <laughs> at school, whereas those at the um, the state school, which had a, a lot, much uh, more lax dress code, would mm. get away with wearing the colours kind of wherever they wanted because um, yeah, there was less enforcement of you know, those kind of rules. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, I remember, I think it was more on the Wayne 
in terms of the popularity of the Jesus beads when I, I was around at the time in, in the youth community. But I think, I do remember still people having it on their skate shoes. I think I actually made some myself. That was something I would often do. I think it might have been at a youth camp. No, I don't think I went on any youth camps. I'm trying to remember when I made them, but I made a necklace and I, I wore it like that. But um, Yeah, I think it was a fairly regular, maybe once a year, maybe even twice a year, that you would do that five colours as the talk or the teaching mm. time at youth group and you would often make um, the colours in some sort of variety as part of what you did that night. Yeah. So it was there was a very intentional communicating of what those colours meant and how to share it with others and practice those conversations and those kinds of things. Yeah, it definitely helped me remember the story. I remember that. I don't know if I got asked many questions for wearing a particular necklace or a bracelet. I can't remember that. But Brayden, is that something that like ended up happening for you as well? Like you were a bit younger than me. So was that the Jesus Beads a popular thing for you? Yeah. So um, I was at high school at the end of, I guess, the noughties <laughs> and um, early... <laughs> early 2010s I would say a little bit on the wane um but still very popular amongst um were the guy Guy Anglican Soul Revival at the time still very popular I'm I remember sharing I've I had a friend who got their braces done in that color and used that as a good excuse to um talk to their orthodontist and the nurses (laughs) that were um helping out and got to share the gospel that way um I remember having it was still very popular, the flag, and I remember it still being a very um, uh, identifiable thing within that community and a good opportunity to share, but maybe not as widely um, uh, yeah, widely used, but still passionately used by um, mm. a number of people. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, had them on my, on my shoes. That was still definitely a thing. I think as fashion trends changed, there was less necklaces and things but yeah, less less kind of 90s skate vibe yeah doing more i don't know what you would call it but <laughs> but i still remember um people using it a lot and it being very helpful and i feel like the less it was widely known the more questions happened mm. yeah that's interesting yeah, yeah. Okay. and as sorry i was sort of grown and matured from the youth community at guyman and the into the own church which we are now those colors have also matured and so we've We've now done courses based on that. We have some um, YouTube videos. Maybe we can put those in the show notes, the links to the little videos that explain each one. Mm. Uh, And so we still use it as a church as a way of communicating the broad outline of the gospel story. One more question on the Jesus Beats for both you guys. Did it help you – was it good to see other Christians wearing those beads? Did you, like, feel like, oh, yeah, like it helps with their identity? Uh, I definitely feel like um, because it was – um, something that I associated with uh, a lot of the kids younger, th- uh, older than me. Sorry, I mm. think it was very encouraging, especially when you are. Uh, I remember being a new Christian. I was in year seven, and um, it was cool to see kids in year twelve, so near the end of high school, and you're at the start walking around rocking them and being bold. <laughs> I think that's always pretty um, encouraging and fun, um, and it just meant like you would see people around in the playground and stuff, and it was like. And again, I coming from uh, a public school rather than a Christian school, I think it was definitely encouraging to see those people around the playground, like even if they were just playing handball or something. It was like, cool, I know that they are Christian. Um, and it is a, I like, I think the colours are quite identifiable. I feel like you don't see the fi- those five colours in that specific order. 
um, around. I think that is uh, encouraging as well because mm-hmm. you know that it's intentional. I think the encouragement was really important too as uh, both Brad and I from a non-Christian background. And I think that was um, something that was really important to feeling encouraged and having the confidence to go, I can wear this because other non-Christians are wearing it and I'm a non-Christian as well. So I think that was helpful. Is there anything else that you wanted to add for the... Yeah, I just think that absolutely there's that that identity that you have and that it's a, an obvious outside sign that mm. these people believe in a particular truth and they live in a particular story, which is uh, in some ways unusual for, um, you know, reformed evangelical Christians. Like we're not... We don't have particular clothing we don't have particular things that identifies you know you might have orthodox jews or you've got muslims that have a particular style of dress have got particular really clear identifiable um clothing that i said oh there's someone who is part of that community that cultural group that religion whereas uh, part of um, evangelical reform culture is that we don't have those kind of clothing we don't have a particular shirt that we wear or a, a headscarf or a any of those kinds of things. And so having something like that, uh, particularly during that moment in time that did fit the aesthetic of that, as you say, the skate punk kind of thing, um, then it did identify and there was that solidarity there. Uh, and so I, I can imagine for, for Braden and um, yourself, Joel, and others who are at public schools, particularly to be able to look out and say, oh yeah, there are other Christians here. And that in itself is quite mm. encouraging and solidifying for mm. a, a young Christian. And something I suppose with our youth community being perhaps around 80% non-Christian, from non-Christian background, I think that was a, a really mm. powerful semiotic as we talked about. So we're talking about evangelism. Uh, I noticed that you just said as reformed evangelicals, we are often tend to fade into the background. I think this is going to be quite an interesting uh, point that we're going to talk about. But should we perhaps first define what evangelism, evangelism is and what we're going to, the reason that we're talking about it? Do you want to help us with that, Tim? Because you've got way more training than I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the word evangelism comes from the Greek word uh, for good news and gospel, uh, which is used right throughout the scriptures. And so when Jesus goes out and starts his ministry, uh, Mark chapter 1 is kind of an early use of this. Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Uh, and that's that word. It's uh, euangelion is the, the Greek word, which we've sort of transliterated into English as evangelism. Um, but it basically just translates, it's the good news. And so when we evangelize, we're sharing the good news. Mm. Um, at Soul Revival, we often talk about sharing the truth and love of Jesus, person to person, culture to culture, generation to generation, place to place, space to space. Well I've done. Got them all? Excellent. <laughs> uh, and so what we're doing, that's, that's evangelizing, communicating that truth of the story of Jesus. And part of that comes with there's an expected result of those who are hearing. And so when Jesus goes out to explain the good news, to evangelize, uh, he says the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So it's a message that has an expected response. And so part of what we do when we are evangelizing is we're explaining the truth and love of Jesus. Um, But there's also, there's an intention there that there will be some sort of response. We want people to come to know that uh, it's not just a factual, oh, that's kind of interesting. Thank you for letting me know that interesting factoid about a historical person. (laughs) There's there's a deepness to it. We're actually expecting personal transformation through that, which again has been a hallmark of um, evangelical and reformed culture. Wow, that's a a good way of looking at it. Um, In your... You've, you've been part of ministry for a very long time. 
Is that something that you see happen and it's something that we should want to see more of is that personal transformation? Do we, do we see people respond to the good news and then they... I'm just wondering, like we're talking about why perhaps we haven't looking at evangelism, but it's like really cool to talk about the things that are really important and also um, really encouraging and exciting of that. When we do share the good news, we see that transformative effect. I was just wondering if you've got any stories like that that you might think you might like to share about you've seen people be transformed. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I spend most of my ministry in children's ministry. And when we think about children developmentally, uh, what's going on for them with faith is often they're uh, experiencing and living out the faith that is part of their family and part of their community. And so we do expect to see transformation there. Well, I love to see kids um, become more patient, more kind, uh, more self-controlled. And that does happen. We see that transformation in them. Mm. Um, but what happens particularly as um, children go through adolescence is there is that process where they're having to differentiate the beliefs that they had from their family to those that are true of themselves. And so that's why in youth ministry, you often see a lot of conversions. You know, people becoming Christians. I know a lot of this, we've talked about it on the Chip Lunch yes. podcast. And as you hear people's stories, that's often somewhere in youth um, and adolescence is where people are starting to make those mm. connections because that's exactly what's happening developmentally. Uh, it's happening with all sorts of different things. It's happening with your choice of movies and music and the th- foods that you like and the types of things you do on your weekend. All of those things as an adolescent, you're working out, what did my family um, believe and do in that space? But now who am I? And, and you're asking that question. Um, and so certainly in youth ministry, you see a lot of that transformation where people are saying yeah actually I, I do really want to take this on for myself um, which is really exciting it's really exciting to see teenagers uh, from uh, maybe non-christian homes that are realizing okay my parents have this other belief or this non-belief in the person of Jesus uh, but actually I'm choosing for myself to believe so there, there's a differentiation there um, of them coming from, you know, more probably more clearly death to life. They've come from, you know, a non-belief in Jesus to belief in Jesus. So they've transferred into his kingdom and part of his family. And then you've got those who are from Christian homes um, who sometimes go through periods of rebellion, sometimes don't, um, but will come through that process of going, actually, yeah, it's, it's lovely that my parents grew me up and raised me to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, but I'm taking that on really firmly for myself. I'm deciding that this is a moment where uh, I want to take that on and, and be identified as a Christian in my own right, not just because of my family. And so, yeah, we see those all the time as we do particularly youth and children's ministry, which is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it must be really exciting. And I think um, in our running sheet, we do, we've got a heading of why I share the gospel. I think that's at a, a fantastic place to start in terms of that is to hear about hearing the transformative effects that people experience regardless of what age they are of what the gospel does would you say that's the most important reason to share the gospel or is there also uh some other things that we perhaps i mean there's the urgency right of like we need to see more of that happen would you agree oh absolutely i mean if if the gospel is true in in its totality that those who are in christ are with uh, in christ for all of eternity and those who are not in christ are not in christ for all of eternity then we have eternal um eternity at stake and so i I know all of us have families friends neighbors that are not yet christians um do not yet believe in jesus 
And of course, we want them to be with us in new creation. We want them to come to a saving knowledge of Christ, both for their good now um, in this life, but also right through into new creation. And so there is an urgency there. Um, John 3, 36, um, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So there's, there is an urgency there that we want people to know Jesus for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also an obedience that... Uh, Jesus actually asked us to go and make disciples. And so there is part of our obedience as disciples is to go and keep sharing that good news, keep telling others about it. I'm just, uh, as you were going through that list, I was just thinking of all the people I should be evangelizing to. <laughs> like you made me, as you went through all like um, friends, family, I'm like all these images of people that I'm like, oh, I need to talk to them. I need to talk to them. or um, uh, need to be at least living it out in a way that... Um, shows that I have been transformed myself by Jesus. Uh, I, there's this statistic that you've put in here, Tim, that says that almost 80% of people come to know Jesus before they hit adult, adulthood. Um, so more than you probably know, many of the people around you at your school are open to thinking about Jesus. Is that something that we that you thought at the time? Like we talked about, the uh, sorry, when you were younger at the time with the Jesus beads, is that something that you would... Um, feel would be true that most people were becoming Christians at that that age? I don't know if I would have thought about it as a statistic of all those who become (laughs) Christians. I don't think I would have been thinking that level. But certainly being part of a youth group which had a strong outward focus uh, and a strong evangelism focus in the way that Stu would run the Friday nights but also the school's ministry is involved with – being in the school for uh, the chip lunches and the other things and and people being encouraged to invite their friends to tell the Jesus bead story to others. There was a lot of people becoming Christians. And so Mm. it doesn't surprise me that, Yes, a lot of people are becoming Christians. Now, as I've kind of grown up and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm now 20 years later and have done ministry study and um, study in, in the social sciences and psychology and those kinds of bits and pieces, it actually makes sense that adolescence is that time mm. where people are defining their identity. They're working out who they are. And so there is, I guess, a strategic opportunity to particularly invest in children's and youth ministry uh, where people are starting to form their identity of themselves. Uh, of course, people become Christians as adults. Uh, we've got a good friend at church, Marty, who is a chaplain in a retirement home, and he's baptised you know, 85, 90-year-olds who have mm. come to Jesus. And it's beautiful to see people who are senior um, and you know, in, in the hospital, in retirement, um, really close to new creation, um, and then becoming Christian. So, of course, that happens, and of course it's important to be sharing the gospel with adults as well. But there is something fairly unique about the child and adolescent experience. And so I think um, it's right for churches and ministries to by, be prioritising children's and youth ministry uh, and that that will be a way in which we will see many more people come to faith in Jesus. And it's also f- obviously fits in with the shock absorber approach as we talk about is that the young people are at the forefront of cultural change. We need to be listening to them and hearing what's going on so that we can bring biblical wisdom to bear on those kind of things and how to how to move forward with that. That's right, and that's going to be the point of this season, isn't it? Like yeah. we've, we've we've looked at culture, we've said, okay, this is the the type of culture that young people are in. Okay, how do we speak to that culture that's been defined by you know the artists we looked at last season, um, the different messages that they have? What is the good news? Mm. Uh, what is the good news for them in that 
um, situation in that culture that they're immersed in um, that for us as old men, yeah, they are not quite Excuse as immersed. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> speak for myself. Um, but yeah, we're, we're just that little bit removed from, but still watching and seeing. Mm. And so what is it like to uh, share the good news? How is, how is Jesus good news for the, the messages that Beyonce and Kanye and Tame Impala and others are speaking? Yeah, I think so. Um, so we talked about the, the reasons about why it's so important to share the gospel. Um, but we have turned this season, uh, whatever happened to evangelism, <laughs> why, first, I think just before we do that though, would you consider yourself an evangelist, Tim? Well, that's a great question. Um, as I read through particularly the New Testament scriptures, I think there's a couple of things going on. So one is it seems that there are those who have the gift of evangelism. Yes. So Paul talks in Ephesians 4, um, about those who are, there's um, different offices, different roles in the church, and one of those is the evangelist. Mm. Um, he encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I think. Um, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Um, there are certainly, what Jesus says to his disciples, pray that he'll um, pray to the God of the harvest that he'll raise more workers in the harvest. So there is a work to be done, which is explicitly evangelism. And we know people like that. I mean, Stu Crawshaw is a great example. He is a natural evangelist yes. um, and has seen wonderful fruit because of that. So there is, a, there is a role. I think there are people who have a particular gifting of evangelism. Mm. Something else that's going on, though, is it's really curious to me that a lot of Paul's writings, when he's encouraging the churches how to live, he says surprisingly little about that, that active word base, go out and keep telling your friends about Jesus. He keeps talking about how do we live as a community of God's people? How do we live uh, in a world amongst the outsiders? But there's a couple of really interesting places where he talks about just living a quiet life. Um, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, um, keep, uh, what is it? Uh, do your best to live a quiet life minding your own business. I think that's really interesting. Mm. But what he does then is he then shows that living a quiet, godly life actually has an evangelistic effect. And so he has a couple of places where we can see that just the quiet, diligent living of living according to the fruits of the Spirit living as a disciple of Jesus, being um, the, the best possible brother, sister, mm. husband, I think wife, about the pe peace, being a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker, yeah. Uh, do your best to live at peace with outsiders. You know, all of those things um, actually have an evangelistic effect. So we've got these part in Thessalonians where Paul encourages them to live a quiet life, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Uh, mind your own business, work with your hands. But the very next sentence is, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So there's something about living the quiet life that actually has this impact mm. on the outsiders. They're watching in and saying, oh, that person's really diligent at their work. They're a really faithful husband. They're a really great father. They're patient in traffic. The, uh, the way, the things that, cause others to stress in the work situation don't seem to cause them stress. They're just working diligently. They're really self-controlled and gentle and peaceful. I wonder what's going on there. 
Uh, the other one that's really interesting is in 1 Timothy, where Paul prays, or he says his desire for Timothy is that petitions, prayers, and intercessions be made for all people, for kings and those in authorities, that we may live peaceable and quiet lives. Uh, but again, the very next sentence is, uh, this is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So there is something in that living the diligent, quiet life as a Christian, which is actually communicating the gospel. So I think for those of us who are gifted with the gift of evangelism, it's awesome. It's wonderful to see those people in action and to see the way that they communicate, uh, the way that they invite, the way that they just really bold in encouraging others to come to church and hear the story and share the gospel colours or whatever it is. Um, But there are others who are not, and I think I'd put myself in that other category. I'm not a naturally gifted, extroverted, out the front evangelist. But in living the diligent Christian life, there is something about that which is attractive. There is something about that is shining the light of Jesus, salt and light as Jesus talks about in Matthew, uh, to the outside world. And what the hope is that people will then realise that and inquire about it. And this is what Peter talks about in his letter is that always be prepared for an answer to the hope that you have. So when people come to you, Joel, at work and go, why aren't you getting stressed while all these other people are being stressed about this project that's going off the rails? Uh, And you go, oh, just yeah, I think I've got a peacefulness and a calmness that comes from my faith in Jesus. It might not be exactly those words, but (laughs) in some way you're able to communicate that, Mm. well, I've got eternity. I've got a peace and an assurity of who I am as God's child, Jesus' brother, and so those little things don't stress me much. Um, why, why do you never speak ill of your wife at work, Joel? Like all the other guys are having a whinge about yeah, their partners. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you're always speaking so positively about your wife and your family. Why is that? And you can say, oh, look, honestly, I have some bad days too. Yeah. But I, I love them. And because I love them and because I love Jesus, I'm just trying really diligently to speak kind words to them and be gentle with them and to be self-controlled in the language that I use mm. about them in other settings. And so those kinds of things um, are evangelistic. So your question, am I? do I see myself as an evangelist? Not in the sense of having a gifting of evangelism. Not in the archetype. <laughs> not the archetype. Uh, but I do think that all of us as Christians have the responsibility of being salt and light. Paul talks about shining like stars in the universe in a corrupt generation because of the way that we live. And that does have evangelistic effect. I think that's a really helpful um, thing to say because I suppose that when I was growing up in the youth community and had, uh, like, hearing different youth talks and stuff, it's like, you've got to tell people about Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And I would, the, I would picture that archetype of the really bold Christian who would just, like, go and talk to people about Jesus with not, not caring what they thought of them. And mm. unfortunately, that was something that I probably still struggle with now is what other people think of me mm. and so i would put myself in the same category as you tim that i'll probably more just trying to live a peaceful life rather than being a full-on uh, archetypal archetypal evangelist yeah. um was that a similar experience to you Braden, growing up is that did you have someone that was super bold yeah i think um i was blessed to have some people who um like tim mentioned were natural evangelists yeah. also natural extroverts and um yeah. Um, very uh, open and sharing and caring. I think it is easy to compare yourself to that when you're not mm. and be like, oh, I'm obviously 
less godly or um, um, get, yeah, get uh, get down on yourself. Or like you said, Joel, if you're not necess- if you're worried about what people think of you and you're not necessarily that outgoing in that way, it can be um, a bit challenge, really challenging. And I think um, coming from uh, the personality type that I am, evangelist, I'm not a natural evangelist, but I feel like that also, it is a gifting, but it also can be learned and improved upon. Like a lot of things in life, some people are naturally talented at things. Mm. Other people just maybe have to work a little bit harder and think a little bit more about it, but that doesn't mean that you don't do it. Mm. I think that's been a big thing for my Christian walk is uh, has been realising that even if things don't come naturally, sharing Jesus is worth it. Mm. It's worth being uncomfortable. And um, just because I am uncomfortable sometimes when I'm trying to figure something out or um, uh, or do something or write a talk or um, do anything that's maybe not as natural to you as a person or something that um, you wouldn't do in um, uh, outside situations. I feel like that is an encouragement. Mm. Um, I naturally, I like my least favourite thing at school was public speaking <laughs> and yet I probably end up preaching and doing a lot of talks yeah, now as part of my role. And I wouldn't say I necessarily enjoy it more. It's just I love Jesus and that's part of loving Jesus is wanting to tell people about him. Mm. And um, I think that it's worth putting myself in uncomfortable situations. And that's something that has taken nearly 15 years of growing as a Christian Mm. to get to. So I feel like, yeah, what you're saying, Joel, is is very true of like, yes, we, um, some people are natural evangelists, but it's also something you can grow in. Mm. And it's also something that it can take a while to grow in. And um, like a lot of things in your Christian walk, you just keep plugging away at it. And yeah. it's surprising how far you get. Well, it was a continual process of sanctif- sanctification, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I think the important thing is that there's lots of different ways in which we can speak the truth and love of Jesus mm. to those that we know. And yes, there'll be those uh, who will just invite every one of their work colleagues to church <laughs> and just be really bold and have no um, embarrassment about doing that mm. and, and be able to share the gospel really clearly like that. Uh, there's people who will do um, cold evangelism, just walk up to people in the street or at the uni door knocking. Lawn, door knocking and share the truth and love of Jesus. I think that's really bold and great. And as Braden said, you can grow those skills and grow a capacity for that. I had another story. There was when I was a teenager, uh, I was at Heathcote train station, which is again, down South Sydney. And just listening to uh, music and minding my own business and sat down on the seat, ready to waiting for the train. And after a while, the station manager kind of wandered out and said, oh, excuse me, did you notice the piece of paper next to you? And I said, no, 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 not really. Uh, And I turned and looked and I realised that it was a Christian tract. Mm -hmm. And we got talking um, and he was trying to evangelise me. I was already a Christian at this point. So (laughs) I I said, oh, this is really interesting. Like, do you do this often? And yes, it turns out that whichever station he was kind of on for that day, he would just leave a couple of Christian tracts on the seats and then if the opportunity arise he would go and just in 
start to have a conversation with people. He was not a raging extrovert. He was quite a quiet and reserved type personality, but he was putting himself in a particularly awkward situation. Mm. Um, and I've got no idea what his bosses would have thought of that if they knew that he was doing this on the job. But he, he was willing to put himself out there um, a little bit awkward, uh, not a seasoned professional, not a professional speaker by any means, but he was willing to have an awkward conversation for the sake of someone reading a tract and hearing a little bit about the message of Jesus. Anyway, we became uh, not close friends, but I would see him often at different train stations and as gardener train and uh, we would always give a big wave and encourage each other. We saw it. And so I think those things are really great. So yes, you can have people who will just go and speak uh, really boldly. You'll have people who will uh, invest and train themselves into awkward situations. Uh, and then when we think about these living a quiet life, there's just how do we actually intentionally show the truth and love of Jesus in the things that we do. I had one youth leader um, growing up who would say, the best way to evangelise your non-Christian parents is to grab a tea towel after dinner. Yeah. And it was just this simple reminder that how many teenagers are going to willingly help their parents with the housework? Well, not many, but maybe one who has been changed by Jesus might. Mm. And so even just that would just, oh, let me help you, mum. Let me help you wash and dry up, I can take care of that. Uh, and that again would just start maybe slowly over time, oh, that's really kind, why are you doing that? It's just, oh, just something that came up at youth group, we've just been encouraged to love our parents because we love Jesus. Breaking the stereotype of yeah. teenagers not doing any housework. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be, oh, why are you wiping up? Well, because you should know Jesus and you should come to church, otherwise you're <laughs> going to hell. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, the, no, no, just the gentle, oh, just... I've just been thinking about how I can best love you. you know, it's something we've been talking about at church, mm. at youth group. And so just those little things will help, again, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. I think that where we're all like kind of going towards is that we should all, as Christians, we should all be evangelists. But it's really, God's given us different gifts in the way that we actually can do it. That's right. Um, so then we don't have to be the full-on bold uh, you called it actually, Braden, a natural, the natural evangelist. I think that we should all be, probably be natural evangelists. It's just how we actually actually do it. Um, so if we all do have those gifts and we, all ha- we can be evangelists in our own way, why are we saying on this podcast that there's a problem with evangelism? I think one of the things we've noticed is that the talk of evangelism seems to be in a bit of a decline. And so one of the things we're interested in exploring this season is why that is the case. Is there something going on uh, in the wide culture? Is there something going on in Christian culture? Is there something going on individually for us, which is sort of slowed down this momentum of evangelism, that we don't feel an urgency about it. We Maybe we feel an awkwardness about it. And so we want to explore that from a number of different angles. One thing that I had thought of, which I read about recently, as we were talking about this season, was some research that came out of the US. Mm-hmm. So there's a group called uh, Barna, and they do a lot of really great research in sort of religious and Christian circles in the USA. Uh, and they did some research on um, all the different generations, but particularly looking at millennials. So that's those born uh, from the... Uh, sort of mid-80s to the end of the 90s. Uh, so I think all of us would, would just scrape yes, into that. I think so. Um, the, the millennial age bracket. And one of the things that they were looking at is what is the attitude towards evangelism? 
from those different generations. Uh, some of the good news that came out of that is that almost all practicing Christians across all generations believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus to others. So that would fit into that evangelism. You know, you want the outsiders to know mm-hmm. about Jesus. Nine, 95 to 97%. Yeah, That's so really, really high. Yep. Um, <laughs> Uh, and almost an insignificant number of those who are practicing Christians would say, oh, no, I, I don't think I need to be a witness. So that's really encouraging. Mm. Um, also, amongst all practicing Christians, believe that the best thing that could ever happen to someone else is for them to know Jesus. And so depending on the generation, that was 94 to 97%. Uh, so that's really good. So they, they know that they want to. Uh, they know that it's the best thing that possibly happened for one of their non-Christian parents, peers, etc., to become a Christian. Uh, and millennials in particular felt equipped to do that. And so there was some great research uh, that said that um, almost three quarters say they would know how to respond when someone raised questions about their faith. And so they do feel that they're, like Peter says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So they're all really good indicators that uh, millennials in particular, but all generations, are willing and ready to share their um, belief about Jesus with others. But then there was something really surprising. And this was uh, that almost half of millennials agree that at least, um, sorry, almost half of millennials agree at least somewhat that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in the hopes that they'll one day share the same faith. So we have this now clash where they're saying, yes, the best thing that could ha- possibly happen for this other person is for them to become a Christian. I feel equipped that I could answer their questions if they came. But of that same group of practicing Christians, half of them don't want to engage in an evangelistic conversation with someone else in order to change that person's faith. How does that come across to you? Very interesting, isn't it? That so, why yeah, why do people feel so prepared to do it, but then not ready to do it? Because we've just spoken about how we don't have to be the big shot. Sorry, I shouldn't call them big shots. <laughs> the guys that are very, the guys and girls that are very bold to be able to talk about Jesus. You don't have to be like that. You can be uh, doing it in the way you live or the way you speak to people, all those kind of things. So, why does that mean? Unless it's the they think that they need to be like that. That's the only way that they can actually be evangelistic. But why do they feel like they need to not share it? Uh, that, yeah, why do they feel like it's they're unable to share it, even though they say they are able to share it? I, that doesn't make sense. I wonder if, I mean, with uh, the previous seasons, we talked about individualism. I wonder if that's playing into it a little bit. It's a lot of bit like uh, the millennial thing of you do you, just I just do whatever I want. Um, I can. Like as long as you stay over there and do your thing, I can do my thing here, and and that's it might be a cultural thing. Brady, did you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I think um, echoing my experience at high school very much that you do you, I'll do me. We can, I coexist, live in harmony. Well, like I don't <laughs> mind what you're doing as long as it doesn't affect what I'm doing. Mm. Um, is very strong. Like I remember, uh, so I'd been going to youth group for a little while. I remember my. Um, mum sat me down and basically said, like, I'm happy for you to do whatever you want. I'm not a religious person. You can be a religious person. Like, I don't mind, but just 
leave me and dad out of it (laughs) 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 was basically the gist of that and i think that i think is a lot of people's attitude is they're very happy um for people to be doing whatever makes them happy as long as it doesn't affect anyone else and i feel like that has really um has really affected i think that uh, evangelism in that way where people are maybe more equipped there's lots of training there's uh, lots of different ways that you can learn and try and um, think about and grow as an evangelist. But then when it comes to um, sharing with other people, I think um, that attitude of um, or makes it harder. Like it makes it harder to talk to people. And for me, it even made it harder for me to talk to people that I am close with because they had put up that wall um, pretty quickly. And do you think it's a response also to the individualism that we talk about? Uh, we've spoken about how individualism is very much on the increase and has been almost from the 70s, 80s, even the 60s when we've gone back there. Um, and I just wonder if uh, people perhaps uh, become so individualistic that if you say, no, you might need to change how you're thinking as an individual, do they feel in a sense, maybe judged. So, if, And then if you're bringing a message of hope and a message of perhaps transformation with Jesus, then that's even more likelihood that the people who are sharing it think they might offend those people or feel like they are judging them. Yeah, and I think that's part of our cultural moment is that there's this feeling that disagreement means judgment. And this actually came out in the study as well. So millennials were twice as likely than... Gen X's, uh, which is the next generation up, uh, and three times more likely than boomers, which is kind of our parents' generation, um, to believe that disagreement means judgment. And so this is where that, I think that awkwardness, like Braden shared about his, his mum sitting down and saying, look, I don't mind that you have a religion, but I don't, and it's, it's okay for us to disagree about this uh, as long as we don't really talk about it. Uh, and so there's, there's that feeling that it's okay to have different opinions, but as soon as you disagreeing with me is actually telling me that I'm, I'm wrong, that I'm feeling judged. And this is the thing about if, if the Jesus story is true, then it's true for everyone. It's not just a matter of opinion. It's just oh, it's nice that you have disbelief and I've got disbelief and kind of like, you know, ice cream flavors. It's okay that you like that flavor and I like this flavor and we can mix and match whatever we want. Um, if the story of Jesus is actually what the Bible says it is, then it, it impacts everyone and everyone's eternity. Mm. And so we, we do have uh, something that we believe is objectively true, not just subjectively true. What's true for you is true for you and it doesn't really matter what you believe. But we live in this cultural moment where being peaceable with others uh, and not letting disagreement and judgment get between friends means that we can often be really slow to share those important truths with other people and also it could be harder too right so absolutely if, so if it's if if and i i feel like it's it's almost uh, our cultural moment has almost gone beyond just i'll do whatever i want it's now i belong to this particular tribe and again then bringing the judgment aspect of like if i say that you might need to switch tribes then it's even uh, it's even greater judgment on me that i have chosen the wrong tribe and it's an attack on not just me as a person but also the tribe that i say that i 
belong to, whatever that might be. And the indi- and my individualism. So if I've chosen yeah. this for myself, yeah. how dare you tell me that I've chosen wrong? Yeah, that's – and, I mean, uh, the, the, the thing that I think about when you're talking about that is the ability to have a conversation with someone who is extremely disagreeable to you or maybe just disagreeable, let's not say extremely, but still walk away going – Maybe I learnt something. Maybe I need to do this better. It's the, like the the idea of civil discourses. I think has been really lost, and I think it's interesting that we spoke about millennials feeling that they're prepared to share the gospel. I think that might be because millennials are the first generation to really experience the internet on mass. So they maybe feel like I can get all my answers off the internet. Yeah. But the problem also with the internet, I think the internet has a great many good things and also a great many not great things. The problem is that the internet. In the way that it has transpired, has come that if as if you can, if if internet companies can keep you in a tribe, they're more likely to make more money. So the idea of Facebook having an algorithm that goes, "Oh, I'm only going to feed you certain things that you're interested in," because that means I can give you more personalized ads, which means Facebook can make more money. I think that is fuels it as well. From the other side, is that we can't have a good discussion between disagreeable groups a lot of the time or sorry it's not being allowed because exactly what we're talking about is that the civil discourse has been lost because the tribalistic instincts now are like well we can't switch tribes we can't be any part of this group we can't so the encouraging thing is that the story of jesus and the gospel and the good news that we talked about at the start of this podcast is that it transcends all of that and that we can we can actually do it I suppose my we can actually do it and be part of that civil discourse without upsetting people. It's more about the time that I think is the the time to be able to have those discussions is perhaps being lost. Um, I think about there's this uh, recently read that Joe Rogan, whether you agree with Joe Rogan or not, I, I don't care, but <laughs> we shouldn't we shouldn't get into that. But he is becoming one of the most influential media figures in the world, especially in America. Because there's a contrast of perhaps the cable news networks that have to have bite-sized things that really become very tribalistic and this is how you need to think and this is how what's happened in this story and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Joe Rogan, who does three hour and half hour long podcasts, it's the complete opposite of that and is giving people the freedom that are on his podcast to actually develop their own thoughts and thinking. So when you perhaps uh, the contrast between how the news is presented and how Joe Rogan is perhaps presenting people's point of view. It's like, well, if I can stick through a three and a half hour podcast, I actually know this person's point of view better. And it's okay for me to disagree with some of the things and I might agree with some of the other things, but Mm. I've had the time to be able to listen. There's a lot of uh, things I talked about there, sorry, Tim, but do we have have the time to be able to have those conversations? That's the other thing. Well, I think we should be making the time, Mm. uh, but it also represents why our relationships are so important. And the really interesting thing about long-form podcasting is not just being able to hear people's extended views, which I think I find really helpful. I've heard uh, you know, long-form interviews with people I knew I disagreed with going into, yep. but hearing them for an hour, an hour and a half explain their position and argue back and forth with the presenter sometimes, you really get to hear the nuance in what they're saying and they become less of a um, caricature and more of a real embodied person with Mm. nuanced understandings. But the other thing which is really significant is that we, if we're listening to a particular podcast or a particular um, personality, 
we get we feel like we know them and that we're in a deep relationship with them. We talked about this with Taylor Swift and how she had been a really early adopter of engaging with her fans through MySpace. Mm. Uh, and then transferred that to the different types of social media that she's engaged with since then. And so there's this deep level of commitment by her fans because they feel that they genuinely know her and they feel seen by her as well. Uh, And I can appreciate that. I've got a couple of podcasts that I listen to and hosts that I've listened to them for so long and their podcasts are so much their identity and their personality and they're on Twitter Uh, And I get to see them interacting there both professionally and and sometimes just personally. They're sharing their dog pictures and their, you know, their child that's gone to college. And and so there's a sharing of the world. And so there's a relationship there. And God has built us for relationships. And so we feel, of course, um, Joe Rogan is going to be super influential um, because the people who are spending time with him are spending so much time with him. And so they are going to be influenced by his, his views and his personalities. And so, I mean, I guess one tip is to you know, pick our conversation partners wisely. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, who is it we're listening to and spending time with? Mm. Because we will become more like them. But in terms of our topic in evangelism, I think one of the important things is to really develop our uh, in real life relationships and our friendships those who we are at school with and work with that live next door to us uh, the fact that i can feel like i know a podcast host more than i can know my next door neighbor <laughs> yep. is probably um uh, i mean it is a deficit it's probably a condemnation on me and the amount of time that i've actually spent investing in my neighbor's mm-hmm. life and so who am i more likely to influence someone on uh, you know a listener on this podcast or someone i'm listening to and consuming their media or the person i actually live next to and can invite around to dinner and can mind their dog and you know look after their mail when they're on holidays and that person i'm going to have more influence over they are going to see my life uh, they're going to see me living that quiet peaceful life in all godliness and holiness um and so that will then raise questions and, oh, why are you always like that? And so we want to embed ourselves well into our real-life communities and our real-life relationships. And I think that also frees us from a number of those things and, and dangers that we, we know exist in social media and um, on the online space as well. Mm. And, and this comes out again in that um, the importance of relationship comes out in the survey in that uh, the millennials are really very aware of the relationships that they have with other people. And it's the relationships they have with other people that both help them to evangelise but also worry them about evangelising. So within the Barna study, um, the 44% of millennials said they would admit to avoid a spiritual conversation if they knew their non-Christian friend would reject them. So they are concerned about rejection. They're concerned about their friendships. Uh, and that's a real reality for them, that that is how they're feeling and so with when opinions are quite hot and you can feel like you might lose a friendship over this is it worth losing a friendship over this and you've got to think about that but interestingly there was another study from lifeway which is another christian research company in america who said that millennials are the only age group out of all the different generations where the percentage of those evangelizing was actually increasing so they're noticing a different trend where where the the x's and the boomers may be lessening their evangelism millennials are actually doing more of it so we've got to put all this together um and yeah there's always lots of intricacies with with survey data but i think it is encouraging that the millennials and and, uh 
more so our, our Gen Zs, which are the ones who now are in primary and high school, um, that to equip them and encourage them that in this cultural moment, as they are the, the shock absorber to our churches, mm. to be hearing from them, to hearing what it is like uh, to be in their world, to genuinely hear these anxieties that they have. I might lose a friend over this. I'm not sure if I'm prepared for that. And to for us as the, the older, um, what do we call it, the, the strength in the shock absorber from the established church and those who are more mature saints, to be able to feed back into them as well and to encourage them and equip them in what they need in order to evangelise their family, friends, neighbours, etc. Yeah, cool. Um, I always like to take the position of trying to uh, help people that are listening to this podcast. So we, we bring up lots of different uh, thoughts uh, and uh, uh, things that we can actually start maybe applying to our lives. I'm just wondering if someone's thinking about, maybe someone's been convicted listening to this, like I, I need to be more evangelistic, whether it is going to talk to someone or being peaceable or, um, uh, you know, Minding your neighbor's dog, <laughs> those <laughs> kind of things. How can we encourage our churches to be encouraging their church goers that we can be, we can all be evangelists? That it's not over. Like we're talking about whatever happened to evangelism, and we've spoken about what some of the reasons are. Uh, how can we reverse that trend that people aren't willing to share the gospel? Yeah. Uh, well, keep listening to the entire season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, subscribe. <laughs> but I think one thing is because it is relational. And so one thing we can do is just get to know our peers, colleagues, neighbours better. Uh, and one of the things that's really important to us as a church is meals. Uh, we do meals all the time at church. But being able to be hospitable with your time, and your house as well. Uh, this is something I struggle with. Yeah, we are a busy family. We have a lot of commitments and not a lot of um, margin, it feels, for those kinds of things. But that's something that I can certainly be doing myself is thinking about how do I you know, invite my neighbour in for um, a drink, for a coffee, for a meal, get to, to know them. There's a great quote by Francis Schaeffer, which I use in training uh, occasionally. He talks about if I had an hour with someone I would spend 55 minutes listening and then five minutes trying to share some aspect of the truth with them. Mm. That's butchering of the quote, but that's about it, what it is. And that can be that first step of evangelism, um, particularly for those who are we are in deep relationships with and we want to maintain those relationships. We don't want to lose a friend. Um, that's a real concern that we have. But we also want them to see how beautiful Jesus is. Yeah. We want them to see the transformed life. We want them to see uh, the beauty in amongst the mess that is the Christian church. Uh, and we want them to know that the best thing for them right now is to come into relationship with Jesus and be with him through all of eternity. Mm. And so the first step towards that might be have them over for a dinner and just listen to them talk about their life, ask questions. Um, let them talk about their concerns. Listen, be attentive to the things that they bring them joy, that they worry about, that um, they're nervous about. How are they feeling about the you know COVID at the moment? Is you know the real pressing thing. Like, how are you feeling about that? Are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling safe? Uh, all of those kind of concerns, and just listening to them and creating opportunities where we can have those conversations. Uh, and in amongst that, being visible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that our our quiet life. Minding our own business is, yes, minding our own business, but it's also minding our own business with an outward 
trajectory mm. as well so that others will see our good life um, and we'll raise questions and we can have, start to have those conversations. I think uh, at the main point that you're talking about there is listening and I think that's just such a great way to show, as you said before, a reason for the faith that you have. Um, and I think it's just a, an exceptional way of loving people. We've talked about that over so many seasons now. It's whether it's listening to uh, the young people in our church uh, our episode with Michael Duckett that was just we spent a lot of yeah, time listening, listening to our First Nations people exactly yeah. um, and I think listening is just a, such a what's the right word it's just it's a it's an ex, it's a very easy but a great example of Jesus' love that has transformed us so we can go he's, we're listening to you we care about you and then people are questioning oh, why is that mm. and hopefully we can give an answer in terms of it's because of Jesus yeah. So I think that's um, that's where we want to head with this, obviously, and we're going to talk about different ways that that's happened throughout history as well. Um, during this season, um, we talk about we've talked about embracing critiquing culture, but how did the how did uh, the former revivalists do that, and also then still see lots of people come to Jesus? So mm. I think that's going to be really cool. We're also going to talk about a, a ton of other stuff in terms of his, uh, historical context, like I said, but also um, we'll have some guests on that will be able to help us to to talk about that too. So. Um, I'm actually really, really looking forward to this season. I think it's a great uh, way to actually get the discussion going that perhaps we may be able to be part of a revival again. We're called Soul Revival Church, so mm. <laughs> hopefully we can be part of it. Um, any final words, final thoughts, Tim, before we before we wrap it up? I guess the main thing would be it would be great to uh, hear back from our watchers and our listeners on your experience with evangelism. What are your stories? Do you feel like, uh, I know that most many of our listeners are in in churches and, and even church leadership. Um, what is evangelism like in your setting? Do you feel that it is at the forefront of what you're doing as a church? Uh, or as you look around your ministries and your churches, you yeah, I wonder what did happen to evangelism. It doesn't seem to be that priority. You know, maybe you've got a different perspective than what we've seen. And mm. so it'd be great to hear stories and hear um, strategies that people have used in order to engage their friends and neighbours and family for yeah, the sake of knowing Jesus. Absolutely. And even any revivals that you'd like to have a, a real look at, so we might be able to do that too. Yeah, you got your, your pet favourite revival? Pet favourite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have one of those. Yeah, you have, you have a favourite revival? No, no, not at the moment. No, <laughs> I'm, well, sure, I'm sure just... someone will tell me and then I'll research and then that will become my favourite one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can get in contact with us um, around all those topics uh, by a number of ways. The first way is to just subscribe and listen to the podcast. That'd be great. Or watch us on YouTube if you like. Uh, you can go to the website, shockabsorber.com.au. You can email me, joel at shockabsorber.com.au, or you can jump on the Discord channel, which will be in the show notes. So there's all those ways to get involved, get, invo get stuck into the conversation. And we're going to start talking about evangelism this season, and be, we'd love to be hearing more people chat to us about it. But for now, let's wrap it up. Thank you very much for your time, Tim. Pleasure, Joel, it's been, as always. It's been lovely. And Braden, thank you very much for your time on sound and also on the microphone. No problem. I <laughs> really appreciate it. And as always, thank you everyone to listening. We really love that uh, you're really supporting us and getting involved. So we, we love it. So mm. to finish off, one, one way. way. <laughs> <laughs>